It's good to see you guys. Uh, today we're going to start a brand new series called The Garden, Discovering God's Love in Creation, and really just taking our time over the next three weeks and looking at kind of one chapter a week, the first three chapters of the Bible, looking at God's beautiful work in creation and in marriage and what happened at the fall of man in chapter three. And so it's going to be a, you're not going to want to miss a single week of this. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I I heard uh, a statement many years ago that said, how you view and and how you, you interpret the first four words of the Bible changes how you view everything, how you view the world. In the beginning, God. Your kind of perception or understanding about who God is in those first few words, that he was there first in the beginning, God, kind of impacts everything. And I think many times the creation account, we can kind of set to the side and and maybe miss its importance and the beauty of God's love um, reaching out into creation. So that's my hope for us to to do that today. And so um, it's important that we we connect with it in, uh, in the way that God shares his, his love in these first few chapters. Not only the first four words in uh, Genesis, but the first three verses is what we're going to spend time on, and we'll be looking at the first three chapters. And I really believe they impact how we view ourselves in relationship to God. So we're, we're going to be getting a lot uh, as a foundation. And so uh, we're going to dive in here in a few moments, and I want to give kind of a, a little bit, uh, some of you guys are, are um, theology buffs, uh, some of you hate um, the, 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 the kind of the, the deep, deep, deep things where we kind of get lost in some of it. And so I'm hoping to kind of navigate into a place in which uh, we all just see the importance of, of the scriptures, particularly of these first few books, um, because how we, how we read the Bible is really important. Um, we each read the Bible in a certain way, um, and, and most of us, we don't ever stop to ask the question, how am I reading the Bible? Well, I'm reading it, or I'm listening to it, but we don't actually ask ourselves, am I reading it properly? And for many of us, we haven't even thought through that question, but there is an improper way to read Scripture. There is an improper way to read it in which it will lead to all kinds of um, kind of falsehoods and uh, bad theology if we're reading it um, the wrong way. And so just to to kind of get us started before we jump into Genesis and talk about some of the different interpretations of what happens here in Genesis 1 and then really how that impacts our life. And so my favorite stuff is coming in a few minutes, but some of you will love this kind of talking through these different interpretations of what's taking place here But it's important that we talk about this because there's really two different ways to read the scriptures. One is something, a theological term known as exegesis, ex, like out, like I'm going to pull it out of the text. I'm actually, it's in the text and I'm just taking it from the text. The the other way to do it, which is not the proper way to do it, is eisegesis in which I'm, I'm putting in the text what I want it to say. And I think if you were honest with yourself, every single one of us, at some point, we've read into text what is not actually there. What's not actually happened, the scripture's not actually saying that, uh, and that's a very dangerous place for us to be. And God can speak to us on specific things that are still true, but if we're not careful, we'll get into a pattern of making the text say what we want it to say. And we're abusing the text, and, and we're leading ourselves on a path that's very unhealthy, and, and that can even happen right here in Genesis chapter 1, so it's a very important place. How we view these first four words in these first, first three chapters are really important in how we view God and our relationship to him. And so, 
exegesis is to pull from the text, and eisegesis is, is to read into the text. Uh, we've all, all seen someone who's read into a situation, and they read into it wrong, and it's a very da- dangerous place to be. Hermeneutics is just another theological term I'll throw out there that says there's different ways to do exegesis. There's different ways to go about it, um, more historical, contextual ways. There's more uh, organized versions of interpreting the scriptures and going through those, uh, and some of them are, are just kind of verse-by-verse type, type deals. So there's different ways to do it, but it's important that we do this, because as we begin to flip over and say, okay, so what are the different things, and as we begin to look at Genesis 1, what are the different interpretations that are out there, and how, how should we read this text? What is the text actually saying to us? It's important that we kind of have this as just kind of a background piece of, to know and ask yourself the next time you're in an individual Bible study or maybe a communal or corporate Bible study and we're saying, what does that text say to you? The first question we should be asking is, what does the text actually say? Many times we jump, what is that saying to you? And that's wonderful. We need to get to that question, the practical application of what is it saying to us. But first, we need to say, what does the text actually say? If not, it'll lead us into all kinds of dangerous territory. So let's begin to talk about Genesis 1. You've, you've read this, you've heard this, even if you've never been around church and never done anything, you know how it starts. In the beginning, God. You know, really interesting thing, when I went to Cambodia a few years ago, um, I, 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 come, I came to find out they, their creation story is so different from ours. I mean, they're 98% Buddhist um, and, and so they weren't taught this kind of basic truth that most of us here in uh, the quote-unquote Christian nation, we kind of even if, or even in, in the West, we've kind of come up with just a simple understanding that everybody at least gets this, this theory of in the beginning God created. Uh, but in uh, kind of more Eastern ones where, where uh, Christ has, is not present, not where he's not present, but where uh, uh, Christendom has, has not flourished yet, um, then they don't have this kind of creation story. And so um, we're, we're doing things to invest in, in those uh, nations uh, throughout the year. We are. We're doing that and investing in these places where the gospel is, is still just in its infancy. And so I, it was kind of a rude awakening for me that, hey, man, there's places in the world where they don't even, not, not only do they not know Jesus, but, man, they, they, they don't even have this framework for God just speaking and creating that we have, even just growing up, even before uh, we're believers. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. So there's these, there's these three, two different ways for us to interpret the, the scriptures. Uh, and if you'll throw those up there. there, there's two different kind of methods that we can go about. One is a science-based method. Um, and that's really eisegesis. And, and for most of us in the house, like we are, um, we're very comfortable with science and nobody's like, Mostly, nobody's anti-science. We're not afraid of science. Um, but, and to the point, like we can actually begin to, to mess some things up here in this first chapter when it comes to how we read all of the scriptures um, with this idea of science. So I'll unpack that a little more. And the other way is exegetically based scriptures. And that's exegesis. We're actually taking what the text is actually saying, not what we want it to say or what we're comfortable with saying. So the danger with the science-based method of the creation account is that its first lens, it's not its only lens, but its first lens is science. Everything is viewed through the science lens. And most of us would be like, well, science is real. Like, and we believe in science, and like, we're not afraid of it. But think, of, think about this for just a second. Science changes. Science changes a lot. At one point, we thought the earth was flat. 
At one point, we thought the center of the universe was the earth. And since then, in fact, the church actually had people killed and like sent out of the church if they believed anything other than the fact that the, the earth was not the center of the universe. We'll come to find out. Science proved that wrong. It changed. Think about the diets that are posed today, and this is the right way that science has told us in recent years that this is the only diet. This is the healthy thing. I was reading something this week that, you know, 10 years ago, they said avocados and nuts were terrible for your diet. They were awful. And now, like, all the crazy is avocados and nuts. They're so good for your diet. Those things change. Things that we thought were cancer-causing then are different. And even in the same studies, the same findings that we have, we have two scientists standing right next to each other, and they'll interpret the facts differently. They'll interpret what has come out of that science differently. So it's very dangerous for us to begin to view through the first lens of science and view scripture through science because science has changed. But what hasn't changed is God's word. Now with God's word, we can use science to inform our interpretation. Like as things move from theory to fact, right? Most of the things that are all over online are, and we're like, we, we receive them as facts, right? And if it's on the internet, they couldn't put it on the internet if it wasn't true. I actually saw this one um, uh, commercial um, that was promoting some ad or something, and it was like so intense. You know how that, like those, those middle of the night commercials, and they're just selling you, 1995, we couldn't put it on TV if it wasn't true. <laughs> that was literally what he said, and so it's always a joke about it. We're like, is that real? We couldn't put it on TV if it wasn't true. And so we just receive things as facts, but really most everything in the scientific community, most everything, is actually theory. It's theory. Like we can't prove it as fact, but God's word is true. And so we we should first read through the lens of scripture and science informs us, but it's not our first lens. Does that make sense? Everybody tracking with me? So I'm going to spend some time just on exegetically based methods. So they're not anti-science but they're coming from the first lens of Scripture. And here's just a few of them. There's probably a a few more out there. If we were to open the Scriptures and just hand this to a random person and they begin to read Genesis chapter 1, the most natural thing that they would begin to grab onto is is a 24-hour day interpretation that God created the earth in six literal days. It, It would just be the thing that we would most naturally read uh, and it seems to, to make the most sense, and it seems to, to be most current with uh, other parts of the scripture that support it, particularly with the Ten Commandments, and God rested on the seventh day, and he tells us to rest on a day. It's kind of you know, congruent with that idea of thinking. But it's not, but it's not the only w- way that we could view this in a biblically healthy way. Now, there's uh, many other interpretations that are not a biblically healthy way, that the scripture is not its first lens, it can't actually be supported by the scripture, uh, here's the second one. We're not spending our whole time on this, but I know some of you are, are just like dying and hungry for some of this stuff, so I want to offer a little bit of it. Um, there's a framework interpretation. Do I, did I throw up that figure? I think I have a figure for this. I'm not sure. If I, but uh, yeah, there we go. That Moses actually uses the days as a literary device. This is a really interesting one that, that many of us have not heard of. Um, that day one, when he creates light, in, in day two and day three, he's actually creating these kingdoms. And that Moses, the interpretation, and it's a scriptural pulling from the text that he's using these as literary devices these days. And that light and division of sea and division of air and land and plants are all kingdoms. And then so it's three sets of three. uh, And then he creates in four, five, and six, he creates um, kings over these, these creations 
uh, over these kingdoms. So luminaries, light, the star and the moon, and, and the, the great light is actually the, the version of the text that rules over the light, and the fish that rule over the sea, and the birds over the air, and animals over the land, and man over plants and land, and then God reigning as king over all of them. So it, that, that's a possible interpretation that we could take from the text that there, and, and it takes some assuming, it takes some assuming and guessing, and, and so, um, but it wouldn't take us off in a completely different framework where we're viewing this on a scientific realm. Again, it, it would be kind of pulling. So, um, and again, we can have different places here. And then the third one is a historical creationism, historical creationism, which basically is pinned off of a couple of things, and this is probably the most rare of the three that I'm putting up here that you will have heard of, and that basically in Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth was like, bam, universe. Is, he's, Moses begins to, to write this down, inspired by the Holy Spirit, as if Genesis 1-1 happened, and then what takes place in, in the coming rest of the chapter is God preparing this universe for, uh, preparing the garden for Adam and Eve basically. It's, it's preparation. So these days, God actually created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1, and then everything that happens from there. But again, it's coming from the text. It's not a science-first kind of view. Um, and so we use science actually just to inform us, but as a secondary lens, not as our primary lens, because science changes. Um, and so, again, some of the last one, historical creationism, really comes off of some medieval understanding about what the, the Hebrew words here they had back in medieval times uh, so for, uh, he hovered out over the, the earth was formless and void. It was actually, you know, uninhabited earth. Like it was, that, that was kind of their understanding back in medieval times that it was uninhabited earth. And so that kind of plays into some of these things. So I could spend a lot more time talking through those. Some of you would fall asleep. Um, and then other of you, it would be the best day in the world. But I just want to give you kind of at least a framework to continue to study these things because they're important, how we look at, at these texts, and it's in, important that we kind of wrestle through these and talk through these things from the text. What is the text actually saying to those? What else, other places in Scripture actually speak to this interpretation, okay? So I, I want to begin to turn our attention to the text, and I, I just want to spend time on the first three, three verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The first thing I, I really just want to share with us today about the nature of who God is and him acting in creation and love is first that he's first. God's revealing himself immediately, first verse, in, first verse in scripture. He's first. He was here first. When we um, were born, um, if we had uh, an attentive mother or father, um, when the baby cries, mom comes running, right, to find out if he's hungry or he's pooped his pants or whatever, there's a child begins to learn omnipresence very quickly in their life. And mom and dad are that representation of that omnipresence. I'm not going to move into my next week talk about marriage and family, but we begin to learn about the nature of God. And when we're hungry, they feed us. We begin to learn this, this supplier um, kind of relation. But what happens is it doesn't take too long for a child to begin to grow from that, and they begin to act like Adam and Eve when you ask them, what happened to the lamp? And they'd be like, it wasn't me. I don't know. Lightning struck it. Bubba did it. Bubba's upstairs taking a nap, bro. He did not knock the, na the lamp over. And all of a sudden, our now toddlers now look like Adam and Eve covering themselves in shame. 
And as we go a little further in life, we move to a place of maybe somewhere in young adulthood for many of us um, or, or upper teenage years. We, we have created this kind of selfish mindset that most of us live in. Um, and, and we move and we realize that this kind of me-centric kind of worldview that we've had doesn't really fit into all of the future existence, and it doesn't really fit in everything that's existed before I was here. We, we, the me-centric view is like everything kind of revolves around me, and, and as we kind of get into young adulthood, we realize, wait a second, that doesn't really fill in all the gaps for the thousands of years before I existed, and the, the whatever will happen after um, I'm on this earth. And so we have to begin to shape that, and, and hopefully that we begin um, to see God's face and all this and begin to know his nature. And I think the first thing that he's telling us in scripture is that he's first. I, I have a, a beautiful opportunity. I love the, the ministry that God's given us and, and the beautiful opportunity we have is, is encountering many, many people and, and many times in very difficult parts of their life and journey. And, um, and they're up against major problems, whether it be addiction or family problems or relational problems or financial problems. And 95% of those problems, I, I respond with the very same statement, and uh, it's usually not what people want to hear, because their problems are very complex, and for complex problems, we assume that the solution will be complex, right? We just assume, because it's such a big problem, that the, that the, that the solution must be uh, complex as well. But I always respond very simply, God needs to be first in your life. God needs to be first in your life. And usually they're like, I know that, dude. And that's not what they want to hear. They're hoping a more elaborate theological thing that will maybe resonate differently this time because they're in such a difficult place. But the truth remains that most of the time why we're in that situation is God has not been first in some area of our life. And that's a difficult thing to admit, but here, right in the very beginning, God is establishing himself as first. Jesus said it in Matthew 6, that seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? And everything else will be added to you. That means when you get the first thing right, everything is right. For those of you that don't know um, anything about building, one really important thing in building is that you get your line straight. You get your line straight, because if I were to just be a fraction off from this end to that end, by the time it got to that end, it would be way off. It's very important that you get the first thing right, because everything else will be measured off. It's very important that we get the first thing first, and God's starting it in the beginning. I was here. John 1, 1 through 5 tells us this. In the beginning, he's, he's quoting it again, was the word, Jesus. Jesus is uh, who he uses. Um, he's using the word as uh, an example for Jesus. Not an example, but as in direct reference to Jesus. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is very important because this is not telling just, it's telling us about the Trinity. In verse 2, we'll affirm the Trinity. In the first two verses, theolo- and add John 1 1 in there, 
And we have the theology of the Trinity in verses 1 and 2 of Genesis. And here, three verses can kind of wrap it up there. The Spirit of God was there. Uh, the Word of God, Jesus, the pattern in which all of creation has been made. His perfection. That's why that God could look out after he creates and begins to create and says it was good because it was made in the pattern of his son. And so many times um, we, we don't realize that aspect of it, that, that it, all of creation, you and I and everything has been made in the perfection and the beauty and the intricacies of, of God. And I think it, it comes to us and we ask this question, like, if God's first in all creation, if he's eternally existed, why is he not first in my life? If he, if he is worthy since the very beginning, if he's always been the alpha in every room, if he's always been omnipresent and eternally existed, why would he not be first in my life? And so maybe you're in this place and maybe you're in one of those moments and you're trying to sort through some details of why this relationship's not working or, or why the job is, is just so blah or whatever. Or maybe, maybe the finances are, are, are getting thin and we're trying to sort through what's going on here. Um, make sure God's first. Make sure God's first in the marriage. Make sure God's first on the checkbook. Make sure God's first uh, in prayer and in worship on a daily basis and that your calling and your purpose exists outside of the, the physical, but it all exists in him because he was first. He's the alpha and omega. And the most beautiful thing about that is, is he was first and he's close to us. He's close to us. He's eternally existed in that. So he should be first in our life. He's speaking about his character of love. And, and I love, what I love about God is he never, he never asks us to do something that he will not do first. He asks us to love because he first loved us. He calls us to a life of service because he first served us. He calls us to give because he's a giver. He, he sets the example always. He gave Jesus before you did anything for him. It, it, we, re- we receive that grace. He's first, and he sets the example for that. Second, let's go to verse 2. Let's go to verse 2. Now the earth was formless and void. As I said, some of the medieval translations, uninhabitable. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God, the Ruach, R-U-W-A-C-H, transliterated. Spirit of God was hovering over the water. Some translations say was moving over the water. So here, Trinity is established that the Spirit of God has eternally existed. And really, the literal translation for Ruach, Spirit of God, is the breath of God. The breath. And in fact, in in, in Hebrew, they wouldn't even say that word. It would, it would more be a, it was the, the sound of how they'd make that sound was very breathy in the actual Hebrew. Now we kind of say ruach, and we understand it, because it, if I go, you won't know what the heck I'm talking about. But they would literally, it would just be the breath, and that would how they would communicate the spirit of God. And so it's the breath of God is hovering over the waters. It's formless and, and void, and I think First, I think here God is, is telling us he's, he's alive. He is active. I think back to um, when my relationship with Jesus began to catch traction, if I can just put it that way, and my space was uninhabitable. I, I, I kept breaking up with girls because I didn't feel I was lovable because I was afraid that they would reject me. I felt I was uninhabitable. I had sinned so much, and I had done so many bad things that I, when I encountered God, I just I, I kind of pushed away because I, was, I, f- I felt unworthy, and I was, 
I was right, but he made me worthy first. And I, I wondered for many, many years, God, could you be alive in me? Could you do anything in me? And, and he, he moved, the Spirit of God moved and filled my life. The Spirit of God draws us in and, and does his fresh work in our lives. And I think many times we go through seasons and we just wonder, God, are you doing anything? Where are you at, God, in all this? Where are, you, where are you at in this brokenness over here? Where are you at in kind of my hurting situation here? And we just need to remember that God's working in our waiting. That when we think he's, he's not active and, and our life is chaos, he, he is working. And we can turn our attention to him and trust him and that he is working in the midst of our chaos or our confusion or, or whatever is going on. He's working. He's working. It's a matter of opening ourselves up to them. I think we have a passage out of, is it the Romans passage or the Colossians passage I put up there? Yeah, for he, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. See, see the kind of parallel there, the dominion of darkness that he was hovering over and he made a way. Revelation and other places in, in the scriptures, it says that Jesus Christ was slain from the foundation of the world, that his plan was going to be alive and active and moving forward, and then he made that action. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption. We could go on and on. I'll skip down to verse uh, 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You have to know that God's activity is embracing all of creation. Not, 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 just, not just my situation today, but God, God, nothing misses his eye, right? No detail is slipping by his eye. I love to see God work in the details. Uh, recently, I got in an accident. I was rear-ended and my car was totaled. And it stunk. I, I stepped out of the car and I prayed one prayer. I said, God, work this out in my favor. Maybe that was selfish. I should have been praying for the other people. But when you're an heir, you can ask. When you're an heir, you can ask. When you're an heir of the king, you can be like, God, work it out in my favor. And um, so it went through things that the car ended up being valued way more than what I thought it would be. And so this past week on Wednesday, um, I, I was needing a car, my rental car had run out, and uh, was praying, God, I need you to work in this situation, because like, hey, like, I, I really need a car tomorrow, I need to get it figured out, and um, so I have this friend who's a dealer, I, I'll save you the long details, anyway, Wednesday, he, he calls me, and he's like, hey man, and how it works with an auction is they're going to bring him through pretty quick, and you got to make a de decision on the spot, and so I don't know much about cars, and, and this is kind of a scary thing for me. And hopefully he's going to send me pictures of what's going on or something. Well, he, um, he, he doesn't. He actually says, hey, I've got 5% left on my phone. <laughs> and uh, they're coming through quick. So he calls me on a few things. None of those work out. Well, I don't hear about them for the rest of the day. But I told him, this is my budget. This is what I need. And that was kind of it. And so 5.30 on Wednesday, um, he calls me. He's like, I got a car. I hope you like it. And I was like, me too, man. Me too. <laughs> And, and so I uh, ended up getting um, uh, this vehicle that is probably one of the nicest cars I've ever driven um, for the budget that God had given us through the, the total settlement. And, and the car is worth almost double that. Um, 
And so the next morning, I'm talking to his daughter who is, runs kind of their, their office stuff. And, and she says, hey, like, we need to, we need, for me to release this car and get it to you, like, uh, I need you to, to wire the money by noon. I still haven't seen pictures of this car yet. <laughs> All right? Talking about walking in faith here. And I, I've told people this story, and they look at me, and they're like, you're stupid. Why would you do that? And so, so I wired the money real quick, you know, and I trust these people. I know them. I've known them for a long time. And um, wired the money, and then about two hours later, I get pictures of the car. And um, people, as I've been telling this story, and, and Taryn and I have been talking about this, people just look at me like, you're insane. Why would you do that? And God's just brought us through so many times in our life where Maybe that accident like, would have spent, spun me in a whole different direction, but what came out of my mouth was, God, I know you're going to work through this. God, I know you're alive. I know you're active in this. And most of the time, we think it's the enemy always trying to do stuff, and, some, and many times, and sometimes he is, but I'm telling you, God wants to even bless us through those times. And I'm not trying to look at that through my situation. That's what the scriptures tells us, that we're heirs of the king, and we have not because we ask not. And he's alive and active in our lives, and it's the same spirit that hovered out over the waters and, and breathed into all of creation is the same spirit of God that fills us up, that fills our lives. And that, that's why we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's that same breath of God that fills us, that hovered out over the waters. Just soak that in for a minute. Same God who saw the chaos or uninhabitable space of creation is the same God who can fill us and breathe life into us when we're struggling in our marriage or in our finances or finding purpose in our job or whatever that situation might be of just quitting in general or maybe the addiction that we're up against and we're like, God, I'm, uh, and uh, we feel so much shame about it, but God's about to break through if we'll let him. God's alive and active. The Spirit of God moved and he hovered out over. We see God is active in creation. He's showing us that love, that he doesn't leave things the way they are. He's the Alpha and Omega. What he started, he'll finish. Verse three says this, a real short. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Let me, let me give you the Hebrew of what is actually said here. Elohim, God, said, spoke, Amar, let there be Hayah. Yes, you heard me right. God was the first ninja. <laughs> Elohim, Amar, Hayah, Or, light, Or. So let me, let me say it now that I've explained everything. Elohim, Amar, Hayah, Or, Or. God said, light, light. We've got some English things in there like and, and, and there was light to kind of help us read it. But the beauty of that Hebrew text, God spoke, light. Next word, light. That's our creator. The power of just that simplicity of not only his omnipresence, he's always eternally existing, we can't run from his presence, or his, um, his omnipotence, that he knows all the details of our life, and he's got all the intricacies, and he's alive and active, but he's all-powerful. He's all 
that we need in whatever situation or circumstance. He is perfect creator. That he says and it is. Everything else in creation wraps itself around the creator. And it was fashioned out of the form and the pattern of Jesus Christ in his perfection. And so you can know he is alive and active in restoring creation. Even as Romans says that we're like groaning, like our earth, the earth is groaning and we as believers are groaning for redemption of our, our bodies, even as it is with our spirit. God said, let there be light. And he didn't just stop with light, he begins land. Hiya, 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 all the way down every single day. Hiya, hiya. I know you love that. God's the first ninja. That's amazing. That's literally how they say the word. I think it just takes some silence for a minute to begin to comprehend because we can, simply cannot comprehend the gravity of God's power. And we live on like a drop, like the smallest drop of his power and his presence. Today is Pentecost Sunday. It's 50 days after the celebration of Easter. And this time of when the, in the book of Acts 2, Jesus said, wait for a comforter. I'm going to send you another comforter. And he'll empower you to do the, the works of my kingdom. He'll lead you into all truth. He'll comfort you when you're being persecuted. So many of us are just living on just like the tiniest little morsel of his spirit. And that song that we sang earlier is so powerful for us today that God just help us to be more aware of what you can do because or, or, like you, you say light and there is light. And so I know in this room, like many of us were up against situations that we feel in the darkness about or we feel like we've got some uninhabitable space or shame about certain things in our life. And I just, I, I can't impress anymore to know just the great power of our God. The prophet Isaiah said, God, your thoughts are so much higher than mine. They're so much bigger than mine. And that, I think that's birthed out of that first verse, in the beginning, God. He was first. And the beauty of the second verse is that he's so alive and active and he doesn't leave uninhabitable spaces like me as I am but he brings me in, into glory after glory after glory, and he just continues to purify and refine and sanctify me and set me free from the junk and the chaos because his desire, he sees every detail. He is perfect creator. You ever thought about some of like the weird creatures in society, um, like these weird rodents and these weird um, like insects and stuff? Like, those things are insane looking, or they're gross. But all of a sudden, lately, as I've been preparing for this series, God's just been kind of having me stand in beauty of, like, the weirdest little insects because they were created with a purpose. Like, God created that silly-looking, bug-eyed, weird, little, crawly thing with the long arms for some kind of weird purpose. I don't know what it is. I have no idea, but he created that crazy insect with a purpose. And the intricacies of his plan are far beyond, far reaching beyond our, our brains. And if he could create the silliest insects and these intricacies of all of the universe, like he knows us. The psalmist said it more beautifully than I could. Psalm 139. Psalm 139, I think we have that there. 
for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they were outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. The God that has eternally existed. The same breath of God that hovered out over the waters lives in us. He's close to us. Perfect creator knits together every single fabric of who we are and our being. And if he can direct all of creation, he can direct my steps. If he can put the stars in their perfect position, then he can tell me about this next step that's ahead. And, and so more than anything today, what I want you to take from these first three verses is the absolute power and omnipresence and omnipotence, his, his mind that is so far, his thoughts that are so far above, far reaching than ours. And that it's all in his love that he created and that he doesn't leave it the way it is. But he's continually renewing us and leading us into a redeemed state as believers. That we would be that first fruits as Christ was that first fruit. We would be that first fruits. That we'd live in that. That he can direct our steps today. There's been many moments like where I've, I've it's particularly early in my walk where I did not grasp how big God was, and I live so far beneath the life that he's called me to and that he's given me as joy and blessing, not just as duty. You ever get in that place where it just feels like work, right? Where it just feels like I gotta do this and I gotta do this and I gotta do this and I gotta do this, and and we start missing it. We start missing the whole thing. But I, I think some transformative moments for me when I just got in awe, of how big our God is. That same God that, that started creation is the one who's close, who fills us, and who speaks little whispers in our ear about the, the, the next steps to come. So these guys are gonna come and they're gonna lead us in worship this morning. And I wanna ask you to stand because every single one of us are in a, in a different place, I'm sure of it. But what I'm confident of is that, that as we draw near to him, that he's present. And when we lift up our voices in worship, that he's present. And so I know some of you in the house, maybe you're thinking through some different decisions that have to be made. Maybe you're thinking through some uphill battles, maybe financially, maybe relationally. Maybe you're reflecting on maybe the inhabitable space of your own being. Uh, And I just want to bring some comfort to us today and know that you serve a God who knows already. And he knows knows you better than you know yourself. You're playing hide and seek. Our boys love hide and seek and they love to play hide and seek around the house and they'll hide behind a curtain and that's like the worst place you can hide behind even if you're a little kid. Because you see it. And like... 
they don't know how to play hide and seek real good, but even like after I find them, they just want to stay in the same spot. And it's silly. Like as adults, we're like, dude, I found you. You can come out now. And so many times like in our walk with God, we're like, we're hiding. We're hiding. We're afraid of taking a step of faith. We're afraid of the season to come and letting him truly direct our steps. We're afraid. But when we realize that he knows it all and he's all powerful, if he's gonna call you out, he's gonna provide a way. He's gonna direct your steps. He's gonna make everything plain and clear. Sometimes not. But he can direct your steps.